God, and it's a, a character study, really, of a man by the name, as many of you know, entitled Ready or Not, and it's a, a character study, really, of a man by the name of Joshua, you know, entitled Ready or Not, and it's a, a character study, really, of a man by the name of Joshua, and thus far in the book of Joshua, we've seen that Joshua has lived a life that was wonderfully prepared. He was a man that came to know the Word of God at a young age in life. He followed the godly leadership that had been placed in his life. Primarily, that leadership came through the life of a man by the name of Moses. He grew in his responsibilities. He grew in his understanding. And and the day came where he was ordained by God to be the leader of the people of God. Moses had died. That created a, a vacuum for leadership. And God said, Joshua, I'll have you to be the leader here. And so he led the people to the brink of a river that was overflowing at flood season, and God miraculously parted that river, the Jordan River, so that his people could enter into the land he'd set aside for them, Canaan's land, or as we've sometimes called it, the promised land. As they walked in, you can imagine how excited they were. Many battles had been fought, many victories had been won. This great miracle had just taken place. And as they walked into the land of promise... They saw a city that had enormous walls, the city of Jericho. Joshua understood the power needed to bring that victory in his life would not come from him or from their nation. It would have to come from God. And so he yielded to the Lord. That's how Joshua remained prepared in life. He yielded to God. As he did that, God gave him an unusual strategy for how he would defeat the city of Jericho, and I won't go into all the details of that, but after a miraculous series of events, God caused the walls of this city Jericho to fall flat. He gave them the victory. But while that victory was being won, there were some things taking place behind the scenes. We'll begin our reading today in Joshua chapter 7, but if we were to go back to Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, we would discover that God had told His people that when they went into Jericho after He gave the victory, they weren't to take any of what the Bible calls the spoils. He said all the treasures of that area are to go exclusively to the treasury of the Lord. Don't take anything for yourself. I'm giving you the victory, God says, and all the treasure in the city of Jericho is to go in the treasury of the Lord. But behind the scene, there's a man who we'll meet in our study today by the name of Achan. And he sees all the wealth of Jericho. And there's nothing standing in between him and taking it. And he made a decision. Nobody's watching. I'm going to take some. And he makes a decision to steal from God, basically. In Joshua chapter 7, verses 20 and 21 The Bible tells us this story, and I want to establish a pattern that Achan followed because it's the same pattern I follow when I make poor decisions and sin, and it's the same pattern you follow as well. The Bible says, and Achan answered Joshua as he's sharing now what happened, and he said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, and basically he said, man, I saw a really nice piece of clothing, a Babylonian garment, and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted, and the Bible says, and took them. Now, notice the, the process. Go back one screen if you would. I got a little ahead of myself. He said, I saw, I coveted, I took. 
That was the process. Let's go on to the next one. The Bible goes on to say, And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So God said, I'm going to give you this victory in Jericho, but you need to understand all the treasure in Jericho is to go to the treasury of the Lord. And Achan enters in, and you know, he just thought no one was watching. He forgot that the Bible in Proverbs 15 and verse 3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Achan saw, he coveted, he took. That was his process, that's my process, that's your process. In fact, if we were to go to the very first sin ever recorded in the Bible, committed by a woman by the name of Eve, we would see that that is the process that she traveled to commit her sin. In Genesis 3 and verse 6, where the Bible gives us the account of this, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired, she coveted, to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Saw, coveted, took. In fact, John in the New Testament puts it in these words in 1 John 2 and verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I want you to know the pattern of sin is very predictable, and the consequences of sin is very predictable as well, and and we're oftentimes enticed by sin in thinking that it adds something to our lives, that it brings something good to our lives, but it's been said, and it's so true, that sin, it never adds anything good to our lives. In fact, it takes us further than we want to go, and it keeps us longer than we want to stay. And sin in my life and your life and Aiken's life and Eve's life, it always uh, costs us more than we want to pay. Now, there is much that could be said today in this study about Aiken, the man who committed the main sin in this text. But our study is on the life of Joshua. And so today I want us to, to look to this text and to observe how does Joshua respond to this setback in his life? What does he do when he comes to a time where he doesn't know what to do? And it's a good thing for us to kind of nail down what would we do if we were in a situation where we, we didn't know what to do. And, and with that background in mind, uh, I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to join me in standing as we look to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. I'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. By the way, wasn't God very kind to let us know which Achan it was? Wouldn't it be a bummer to have the same name as Achan and be put in the Bible like that? So God said, I'll help you out. Uh, there's only one Achan who's the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. God was very specific here and and the Bible says of Achan that he took of the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now Achan took it, but it impacted a nation. Isn't that interesting? One person sinned and it, and it affected a whole bunch of people. Verse 2, and Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth and on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. In other words, hey, this is a weak people, Joshua. 
man, we don't need to send everybody. It's a long, it's a needless journey. Let's just send, I don't know, a couple, two, three thousand over there, and they can take care of them. Verse 4, so there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Do you remember in previous studies when the power of God was, was on His people, that it was the people who lived in Canaan, their hearts were melting when they saw the power of God, but here's the people of God. Because of sin, that power's gone, and now it's their heart that's melting. They're afraid. Verse 6, Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust on their heads. Now, this, this is a really weird thing to read, but in that day and that age, this was not peculiar. This is what you did when you didn't know what to do. This was a sign of we've done something horribly wrong. What's going on? This was an expression of grief, of, of humility. And, and so they'd tear their clothes and put dust on themselves. In verse 7, the Bible says, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would to God we had been content to dwell on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ or surround us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Now, as we see in verse 10, God told Joshua, Get thee up. And I want to add a little inflection, if I may. And I mean no disrespect to the Lord. This is my imagination. But I think in verse 10, it might have been a little bit like this. Get up. Get up. Well, what, are you going to stay down there forever? You're not going, you're just going to stay there the rest of your life? Look, get up. Get up. Could it be that's a message that some of us here today need to receive from the Lord? Get up. So we go back to verse 8. As Joshua's pouring his heart out to God, he, he says there, O Lord, what shall I say? Now, when you're a leader and you don't know what to say, you're confessing, I have no idea what needs to be done here. Have you ever been there? got a problem i just don't have any idea what to do about it and that's where joshua was and and in this passage we're going to find that god taught him some great lessons through this i promise you today i don't know where you're from what background you have what demographic you'd fall into what age category you may fit in i promise you if you will allow yourself to enter into this study with all your heart you'll leave here today having learned something that will help you None of you are better than this message. None of you are worse than this message. I was so blessed by what God shared with me in, in the study of this. And, and, and I'm making a, a commitment to you that if you'll get heart deep into this study, you'll leave today with some help. Now, I'm going to pray and ask God to help me be an effective teacher. And as I'm praying, I hope you'll be praying, Lord, if he just told me the truth, I want to get something good today. Help me. So let, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to help us this morning. Our Father, thank you. For the joy that's ours of being able to open a perfect book and to 
learn from the lives of those that you've used so mightily. And yet, Lord, we know the victory is not found in any person. It's only found in you. And so I pray today that you would help us to see our need and the solution that's found in you. And I pray that you'd be honored by how we handle this time. Uh, I love you, Jesus. I pray that you and you alone would really be the, the one in the spotlight today. That, that uh, all of us would fade in comparison to the attention that, that you receive. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Years ago, I was watching the news when a story came on that told of some terrible crimes that were committed. Obviously, the one who'd been accused of these crimes was painted in a negative light, and he should be. As I, as I said, the, the crimes were, were really terrible. And as the story went on, the face or the mugshot of the one who'd been accused of these crimes was put up on the TV screen. And as I looked at the face on the TV screen, I thought to myself, I know that guy. I called Lisa in from the other room, and I, and I said, wait, wait, you, you, you've got to watch this. And when they showed the, the picture again as the man was in court, uh, she said, we know him. And my wife has coached softball in about every level it can be coached in, in Oceanside, from, from T-ball all the way up. And over the course of those years, we've met a lot of families, and I'd sat next to this man at a lot of games over the years. And although I didn't know him well, I knew him. And here he is in a situation where some poor decisions were made. And a, a price now had to be paid. A consequence had to be paid. It, it was a tragic story. This man ended up being sentenced to a long time in prison. And, and uh, he's paying dearly. Let, let me tell you something. He made some horrific decisions. And for years and years of his life, he will pay for the decisions he made. But if you think that is the only cost associated with his decisions, you're wrong. Because today while he sits in a cell thinking about what he's done, there's a wife who now has to raise children alone, make ends meet alone. There are children who had really their whole worldview shattered and the confidence that had once been placed in, in their father removed and scars that maybe for a lifetime will remain unhealed. We intellectually understand it's not fair that one person's poor decisions would affect others. But I think we understand how it works. One person's decision can touch the lives of others. Now again, we can spend the rest of our lives trying to find the justice or the equity in it all, or we could just acknowledge right up front that no man is an island unto himself. I think of Moses, he, he clearly had an understanding in his life that sin would cost him and cost others and cost opportunity. In Hebrews eleven twenty five, he said that he would choose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And that's how sin works. It's pleasurable. It's enticing. It's promising. But, but it's a short-lived 
joy. Maybe you've had a lot of fun buying a car, and when you pulled off the parking lot of the dealership, the joy dissipated when it dawned on you, I've now got a 60-month sentence. I've got to be making making payments for the next five years or four years uh, of my life. Now, people have wondered if it's fair that Aiken's sin in the Bible affected so many, but the reality of life is that our decisions affect others. My decisions affect others. Your decisions affect others. And Aiken's sin cost him, cost his family, cost the lives of 36 of their of their troops and their military, affected the nation greatly. In the midst of this, we find Joshua dealing with the largest setback in his life. He'd never gone through anything like this as a leader. And he learned that there are some things you need to do when you don't know what to do. Joshua learned that you're to just keep going at times. And as the process unfolds, and here's where the help that we need begins. If you have your notes nearby, let's consider first of all that Joshua in this moment, he looked to God. He looked to God. Now our text paints a vivid picture of the fallout from Achan's sin. But there's really more to this story. If we were to take the time today to read the backstory, we would see that, yes, Achan sinned. And because of Achan's sin, many paid a price. But I think we would also find a curious uh, uh, addition to the story, and we'd find a curious deletion from the story. If we were to go back and read from what took place when they crossed the river up to what happened at Ai, we would find that there were some things that were missing, like prayer. Where at one time there was this desire to talk with God, to get his direction, to get his strategy, to get encouragement from him. When they went to Ai, there was none of that. You see, they didn't need to look to God. They'd known some wins. They'd had some victories. They were feeling good. They were feeling large and in charge. And their self-confidence was at an all-time high. Look at what just happened. We brought down the walls in Jericho. Surely we can beat Ai. And there was the addition of self-confidence. And that always comes when there's the deletion of prayer. We find the people have this consensus of, hey, we can beat these guys. We've got this one. They're, they're a small country. Let's not send everybody. Maybe just two or 3,000. We can surely beat these people. Things have been rolling along so well. There seemed to be a general lapse of the appreciation of the presence of God and the importance of relying on God. And, and as, as Joshua comes to this point where he doesn't really know what to do, the first thing he does is he looks to the Lord. And he had a lot of questions As he looked to the Lord, he began to say some things. He said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan? And he's saying, Did you do it to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. All of that self-confidence is gone and he's questioning everything. But there's a line in his questioning that lets us know some things that are in his heart. Don't get me wrong, there's self-pity and and a lot of things going on there, but as he continues in what it is he says to God, he says, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ or surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Now listen to this. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? He said, God, we've got a problem here. We've done some things that have made it incredibly uncomfortable for us. We're going backwards now instead of forwards. And and God, we've noticed that your great name is being tarnished because of our behavior. Do you remember in a previous study when we really found out what the primary motivation in the heart and life of Joshua was all about? 
In Joshua chapter 4 and verse 24, the Bible says that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Joshua would have said, I'll tell you what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's a desire to reflect well on the name of God. I want people to know him and know how great he is and how wonderful he is. And now he's at a situation in his life where their behavior has caused the name of God to, to be diminished Friends, a spiritual response to sin, to adversity is found in looking to the Lord and refocusing on Him and His purpose in our lives. And so often we contemplate our failures by considering how it will make us look. And we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to look foolish. We don't want to look like we've done something wrong. But when we turn the corner on that and say, you know something, I'm concerned about how this reflects on God. Now, don't get me wrong. God can take care of himself. I don't want to make God look pathetic in this narrative at all. I'm just saying in the heart of Joshua, there was an awareness that his behavior, his action, his decisions would lead others to have an estimation of God that would either be higher or lower. And before he could turn the corner in life, he had to come to the place where he said, listen, it's not all about my name and what people think of me. There's something more important here. And he just came to the place where he wanted to look to God. The first thing to do when you don't know what to do is to look to the Lord. Put your attention on him. Don't fixate on yourself or how you look or how others perceive of you. Look to the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Make his concern your concern. He looked to God. The second element we find in Joshua's life is this. He listened to God. Now, he had a lot of questions, and that's understandable, but he had enough spiritual maturity to know that there comes a time in our lives where we really need to just simply be quiet before the Lord and listen to him. And as Joshua began to listen to God, I want you to see what it is that he heard God say. God said, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Joshua, get up. It's time to get up now. God was saying, Joshua, quit acting like it's over. Get up. It's not over. It's not time to call it a life. It's not time to throw in the towel. It's time for you to get back to what you once were, someone who was ready. And it's time for you to get ready again. It's time for you to go back to how things used to be. These people didn't have to suffer a defeat. They didn't have to sin. But the children of Israel, they did sin. They chose to do it. And because of that, they suffered a defeat. Now listen, you and I don't have to sin either. Now we do. I've yet to meet a perfect human being other than Jesus Christ, right? But the Bible makes it clear that there's been a provision made whereby we can, we can live a victorious life. In 1 Corinthians, the Bible says this, chapter 10 and verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. I want to stop right there. Um, sometimes we, we in, enter into a season in life where we struggle with, with a particular sin, and the Bible sometimes calls these sins besetting sins. And if I were to take time to go around the room today and if people would be honest, every one of us would mention, you know, really, I struggle with this and this. It seems more than some other sins. And all of us have sins that we struggle with. And sometimes we think I'm unique and the pressure I'm under is unique and this sin is more enticing than others. And we can almost psych ourselves out into thinking I'm never going to get victory in this area of my life because I'm different and the sin I'm facing, it is different. And I want you to know the Bible says that there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common the man you're not different and i'm not different and sin is never okay and it's not excusable and you are not destined to a life of sinfulness the bible says but god is faithful aren't you glad today god's faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape 
that ye may be able to bear it. Friends, listen, when we fail and fall, it's time to get ready once again. I really feel that a message we all need from time to time is, is that message, get up. It, it's not over. Yes, you had a setback. Yes, you had a defeat. Yes, that was a disappointment. Yes, that was bad. That was wrong. Yes, that, that, that was as horrible as you thought it was. But no, it's not the end of the story of your life. What you need to do is to get up and to move on. It, it may be from something you've done, a sin you've committed, a wrong that, that is entirely your fault. Or maybe more similar to the situation of Joshua. There are those around you, and because of their sin, a difficulties come into your life. And we can sit around and talk about the justice and the equity and the fairness of it all. Or we can say, this is how it is. Sin hurts. And sin brings a, a consequence and a suffering. And I'm going to listen to God when he tells me to get up and keep going. You see, when you get knocked down in life, that's a real good time to start getting back up. God let Joshua know through that statement that he was not a failure. Sure, he'd failed. But friends, listen, the only thing that makes a person finally a failure is to accept failure as final and 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 i don't want to come down on anybody needlessly hard today but i find in general that folks in this day in which we're living especially man we are far too quick to quit things that ought not to be quit to give up on things that god has given us to do joshua's discouraged and god says listen joshua I've got a word for you, but, but it all begins with this. Get up. Get up. I, I like the way Paul puts it in the New Testament in Galatians. He said, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. Here's the conditional, the conditional word. If we faint not. If you faint, no reaping. But if you press on, you will reap in due season. God's timing in God's way. Imagine what would have been lost if Joshua turned around not only would his life have looked different, but his family's life would have looked different. The nation would have looked different. There were people counting on him to get it right. And it, friends, it's been said, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. It's also been said, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving is not for you. That's another message. You can think on that another time. But there are going to come times in life where we say, you know, I didn't have to make that dumb decision. I didn't have to step in that. I didn't have to do that, but I did. I did. What I need to do now is Go back to the beginning, in a sense, and to develop this matter of being spiritually prepared. Get back to the Lord, listening to Him. I'm saying today, friends, this. We're all going to have defeats in, at times in our lives. And if we're only going to do well in life when we're getting wins, we're not going to go very far. It would be good to determine in advance... I don't choose to sin or to have a setback of that nature or, or to fail or to have some unforeseen thing come into my life. But when it does, I want to make a decision in advance. I'm just going to keep going for God. I'm going to press on for God. On occasion where I was talking with my, my oldest daughter, Jessica, and uh, I'd done something that was just stupid and wrong and bad. And, and we were talking and I've taught my children over the years to say I'm sorry. But I've had to teach my children by personal example at times how to express it. And I said, honey, listen, 
that was wrong and bad. And I want to do better. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And, and when we were done talking, she walked down the hall in her room and she shut the door. And, you know, as a parent, you want to keep in your children's mind as long as possible that you're just like bulletproof, bionic, superhuman, you know. And they start to figure it out that you're not. And it's a bummer, a little transition there. So I'm wondering, what is she thinking uh, in there? What is she thinking? A long time went by. And, and I remember she came out and she gave me a note. And among other things, she said, um, Dad, you're still my hero. Now, I thought about that. And you see, the cat was out of the bag. She knew her old man was not perfect. She knew that. But she concluded, hey, Dad, I still love you and, and I accept you. And I thought, isn't God good that even in a loss in life, we can leverage that, parlay that into a victory? That somehow something can come out of that that would allow us to move forward. And again, she knows her old man's not perfect, but, but in that loss of victory was one. I, I want you to know something today. There are far more people counting on you than you could ever imagine. Your family looks to you. Your friends look to you. Your peers look to you. you, you listen, you can't quit or throw in the towel or say, I'm not going to go forward anymore. Listen, who do you think you are? You're someone that has zero impact. That's not true. There are people in your life that look to you and, and you matter to them. I want you to know, and especially if you're a leader, this, this seems to be the case, the, the more uh, influence you have. But there, there are, I'm sure, some people in your life that would find perverse satisfaction in your defeats and demise. <laughs> Every now and then you'll meet people like that. And you're like, that guy would just flat out get happy if I had a bad day. And there are people like that. I, I'm saying it's a good thing to just do well in life because there are a lot of people looking to you and it's kind of fun to do well in life for those that wish you weren't doing well. But follow God. Maybe today would be a good day to get up, to get back in the game. And I don't know what area in your life that may be. You've given up on making your marriage what God would have it to be. You've let the prodigal child in your life wander on needlessly without prayer, without intervention today's the day to get up and get back involved in that maybe you've had desires and dreams and goals of of doing something in a financial way and the setbacks have come and, and you've thought listen I, I don't know anymore if those dreams can become a re reality your life is not over maybe today a good message would be just get up get up he looked to the lord he listened to the lord but then he got back to work and the verses that lead to the end of our chapter god told joshua that he had to deal with the root cause of sin among the people. And Joshua did what leaders do. It's never easy. It's never comfortable. But Joshua had to confront the sin. He had to confront it and deal with it. Leading is not an easy thing. Leading is oftentimes a very lonely thing. And it's for times like this. But Joshua did what he was called to do. He dealt with the sin. He didn't look the other way. He didn't act like it didn't happen. He confronted the issue. And in response, God came to him again. And I want us to look ahead a little bit to Joshua chapter 8. If your Bibles are open there, Joshua chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. This is what the Bible says. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people, and his city and his land, and thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Only, here's the exception, 
only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall you take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. God had told Joshua, listen, this defeat didn't need to happen. This setback didn't need to happen, but it happened. And you learned from it. And you're ready once more. Get back to work. What, what came next was really an overwhelming victory. In fact, God made it clear that the people, uh, his people, could keep the spoil of the land. Now listen, follow this with me for a minute, because this lets us see a little bit of the heart of God. They went into Jericho, and, and God says, look, you can't keep any of this stuff. None of it. None of it. They have a royal blow-up in life. And in the very next place they go, God says, look, you can have the stuff here. Now, had I been God or you been God, we might have said, you know, after the boneheaded thing you guys just did, you don't get any spoil for, you know, you're grounded. No more spoil for you. No more plundering for you, okay? But God said, I'll, I'll tell you what. In this next battle, I've, I've got something special for you. Back in chapter 7 and verse 13, God said this, up. Sanctify the people and, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. God said this, Listen, until you deal with that sin in, in, in the life of the nation, you, you're not going to move forward. And specifically, God said this, You're not going to stand. You can't stand. Until you deal with this, you cannot stand. But when Joshua dealt with the sin, they could once again stand. And, and I like the way the Bible in the New Testament puts it. The Apostle Paul's writing in Ephesians 6 and verse 13. He said, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. To stand. To this point in Joshua's life as a leader, he had only known success. That's all he'd really known. His life was one victory after another. He thought that once he entered into the land of promise, Canaan, that it would probably be smooth sailing forever. I mean, they came across the river on dry ground. The, the walls from Jericho fell down, and probably he's entertaining this thought. It's smooth sailing from here. Happy days are here again, and they're here to stay. And, and he... He runs into this situation, and for a moment, he probably thought, you know, either God has left me, or God's power is not up to the, to, to the task here. But he learned God didn't leave him or forsake him, and that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. His power is not limited. When I looked at this te text and studied through it, I, I came across two thoughts that, that I learned, that I picked up. I want you to think with me as we look to these. I learned this. A battle won does not mean the war is won. You see, the Israelites had won some victories, and you just kind of get a national sense. They're thinking, look what we've done. Look at the victory we've had. Man, we had a great battle, didn't we? But the war wasn't done. And so they had to learn, hey, keep punching. Keep punching. Until that bell sounds, or in our case, until the trumpet sounds, keep punching. You, you, want a, you want a round, there's still a fight. Uh, you, you can win a battle, that doesn't mean the war is won. But I also learned that a battle lost does not mean that all is lost. A 
battle lost, it, it does not mean that all is lost. And listen, some of you are here today, and honestly, if you were to evaluate your lives, you're in the most blessed season you've ever enjoyed. You're walking with God, you're praying, your family's close, and, and you feel like things are going well. Let me remind you, a battle one does not mean the war is won, but there are others here today, and you're feeling as though you're in a season of loss, and you're feeling down, and you're wondering, what's the future going to hold? And you're wondering, is God even still with me, and is His power sufficient? And I want to remind you today that a battle lost does not mean that all is lost. Joshua said, man, we've got to recover from this mess. This cannot be the end of our story. And they dealt with things, and they moved forward. In the remainder of Joshua's life, there are no more major defeats recorded. I don't know if there's a good loss, but if there is, it's the kind of loss that you leverage into a life of victory. And I really do get the sense, as I've studied his life from beginning to end over and over, that there was a note-to-self type of a lesson here. Man, don't ever forget God. Don't ever get full of self. Don't ever get to thinking, I got this one. It's just AI. There are a bunch of wimps over there. I can take care of this. He decided to keep his eyes on the Lord. Think of that. When we're caught unprepared, it's time to look to God and listen to God and then to just get back to life, get back to work. Would you all be so kind as to join me in standing this morning? Why don't we bow our heads in a spirit of prayer? When we started, I, I told you, and I meant it from my heart, I, I told you that I believed if we worked together in this study today that there was a truth for every one of us. And I believe that. I talked about two major lessons that I'd learned as we closed the message. A battle won, it doesn't mean the war is won. And, and maybe some of you, you identify with that statement today. You're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, there's, there's really been some great blessing in my life and things have been going pretty good in my life and, and I don't want to get sloppy in the midst of victory. I, I don't want to take my eyes off the Lord and... And I don't want to have a needless setback in life because I kind of stopped looking to the Lord. And, and maybe you're here today and that's the message that God had for you. And, and you need to be reminded that, that uh, just because you're in a time of blessing doesn't mean you did it or you no longer need God. And, and maybe that's the get up message you need today. I wonder, are there those like that this morning about testimony? Just a quickly raised hand. You say, Pastor, really, I can identify with that statement. I want to stay sensitive and tender to the Lord. That's wonderful. Thank you. You can put your hands down. But there's the other side of that coin. And some of you are here today and you're coming out of a defeat, a loss. And you're tempted to think all is lost. You're tempted to think it's never again going to be what I hoped it could be. You're tempted to think that God has somehow left you or His power is not up to the challenge you're facing. And, and maybe today the message that you needed to receive from the Lord is, is that. Get up. You've had a loss, but a battle lost does not mean that all is lost. I wonder, are there those this morning? You say, Pastor, really, that, that's a message I think that can encourage my heart today. Are there those like that this morning? Pastor, pray with me. Wonderful. You can put your hands down. Now, friends, listen, finally. There's plenty of room in the life of a believer to do good works for God, but you have to know something. The Bible is crystal clear that no amount of good works can make us a Christian. And maybe you're here today and in your heart, the, the issue is you're just not even sure where you stand in terms of a relationship with God. 
And the great news today is you can be sure. Now, I'm not going to embarrass or point anybody out. I wouldn't do that. But maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, the truth is, if I were to die today, I'm not absolutely certain I'd spend eternity in heaven. And your thought is this, Pastor, uh, don't, don't point me out, but I don't mind you thinking of me in prayer. Pray for me. If that can be known, I'd like to know that. I wonder, are there some in the privacy of this moment who'd be willing just to slip up a hand and say, Pastor, I'm not.